Hello and welcome as we uh, continue our um, series on the Old Testament prophets, the, the minor prophets, the ones in the back of the, uh, the Old Testament which often we get a bit muddled about who said what and who they are. And so we're going through a, a series, we're going to be uh, defining really who these prophets are and, and something of their message that they have brought. And we're doing so because... Um, the Old Testament is given to us to help us understand, um, firstly, point to Jesus, but also to help understand how we as the people of God are to live in, in a time when, uh, well, not all is right with the world. Um, and right now, not all is right with the world. Um, the, the, the image that often we find in uh, the scriptures is that we're in a, we are, Foreigners, we are sojourners in in a foreign land, and uh, we are looking forward to the to the hope that we have um, coming up, uh, the promised land. And the promised land, of course, is the time when when God and heaven and earth will come together, and and God will be with His people, and the people will be with God, um, and this wonderful uh, future hope that we have, and we have that because of Jesus. And today we've, uh, um, we're going to be looking at the book of Nahum. Uh, it's only a very small book of the Old Testament. It's, uh, and as we, as we go into the book of Nahum, we really want to understand his message so that we might understand how his message will inform us in how we live today. So who is the prophet Nahum? Well, we know very little about him. He was an Elkoshite. And if that means nothing to you, then it's no surprise because it really, we really have no understanding of where um, Elkosh was. Um, we know that his ministry is probably around 600 years before Jesus. In this time, the, uh, the northern tribe of Israel no longer existed. Um, Samaria, the, the capital of Israel, had been flattened by the Assyrians 80 years before. Assyria was, was this superpower of the day. It, it, was, it had the great fortress. It had all the best weapons. It had the armies and it controlled the known world. The northern kingdom of Israel tried to kick free of the Assyrians um, with, the, uh, with its capital, Nineveh, uh, but they were squashed like a mozzie at a barbecue. The southern kingdom, Judah, uh, Judah and Benjamin, um, must have felt so alone. Um, Israel was always the stronger brother, the richer brother, the more powerful, but now they had gone. The buffer between them and these nations of the north was no longer there. Uh, Assyria had a policy of... Uh, taking survivors from the lands that they, they conquered and, and removing them and putting them somewhere else and then taking those and putting them back into that land so that there was division. And so people actually, uh, the different nationalities would fight against each other because if they were fighting against each other, they weren't fighting against Assyria. <coughs> and that's why it's where we get Samaritans. Uh, the Samaritans was a mixed race of people in the northern part of Israel and there was, of course, a lot of tension between them, as we see in the New Testament. 
So Judah was quite alone. They were under the rule of Assyria, uh, which was governed by the, the city of Nineveh. They had their kings. Uh, Judah had a, their king, but they were, there was often bad kings, and, and they were more interested in the politics of the day than a relationship with God. Manasseh was probably the worst of the kings, leading Israel um, over a very long time of, of reign into idol worship and even sacrificing his own children to the foreign gods. And it may have been a, a way of um, trying to appease or, or, or politically connect with, with the, the nations that were in power. He even sacrificed his own children to this foreign god. Yet this remarkable story about how this the most horrible king of Israel, <clears throat> the one who led them most into um, sin, who did horrible things, yet he repented at the very last part of his life. But he still could not turn Judah around. And I guess that shows you... Um, Sometimes we can be forgiven of our sin. Well, yeah, under God, we can be forgiven of our sins, but it doesn't mean the consequences of that sin will go away. And so um, after Manasseh's, uh, Manasseh's reform um, um, or, and his grandson Josiah, uh, it's around time that Nahum was speaking and it had been the first time in a long time that Judah's kings were seeking to be faithful to God. So for the first time, Nahum's prophecy is not against Judah, the people of God, it is against Nineveh, the, the capital of the, those who oppress him. So Nahum, um, the, the actual word gives us a clue. His word means comforter. And he spoke against the enemies of the people of God, which brought them comfort in a time of uncertainty and fear. So what did he have to say? What did Naaman have to say? <coughs> in, in the, the, as the passage was read today, um, it's interesting to note that this probably was a written message right from the very start. Because I can imagine that the king of Judah wanted his people to hear this, that Naaman came as a prophet, his message was one of hope, <coughs> and so he wanted to communicate this hope all around. So it was written down and recorded for all people at all time. And Naaman starts where we all need to start. He directs attention first, our attention first to who is God. And more and more I'm convinced that our salvation is found in, un, in our understanding of who God is. See, Jesus came to, to make known to us the Father. And we are known by the Father. The people of God will get lost if we forget, if we don't focus on who God is. It is only... God that makes sense of who we are and what we're made for. And so Naaman the Comforter spoke his oracle. He spoke about the, the Lord being jealous and avenging and the Lord takes the, the vengeance and is, 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 takes vengeance and is full of wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foe. It goes back to Exodus, um, the time of Exodus. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His, his ways are like the whirlwind and the, and the, the storm. He rebukes the, the, the seas, they dry up, mountains quake. This is the God that we worship. 
The earth trembles in his presence. It's just so important for us to understand who our God is. And God is jealous. He, he won't share his glory with another. He, it's not, it would not be good. It would not be in any way of any value to us to, to somehow put anything else in front of God, before God. And so in that sense, God is jealous. He wants the best for us. And so he's, he demands to be worshipped because it's only in him that we truly find happiness. Because we know that whatever we worship other than God, they will never satisfy. We, uh, we see that uh, the God stands against the defiant, those who deny him. And so Nineveh is being judged because they were standing against God's purposes. Where before Jonah was sent there and uh, was, was sent to proclaim a message of, of, of repentance, um, they did respond. But it just goes to reinforce to us that just because we responded to God in the past doesn't mean that we're going to be safe now if we don't live a life of relationship of under our God if we don't continue to live a life of obedience as God, with God as our Father. And Nahum sees God's power. So he sees it's dealing with the world. And he says in chapter 2, verse 2, The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel, though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined the vines. God will choose to show his splendor and his glory. And he does that in the most remarkable ways, in, sometimes in our sufferings and, and when things aren't going as we'd hoped. So why did Nahum need to say this? It's really hard for us to understand the power of Assyria um, and its capital Nineveh. Uh, this was a, a city that had two walls around it. It first had a moat and then had an outer wall of six metres high and then it had another 10 metre high wall with fortresses, uh, with towers every 18 metres. This was uh, a wall that went 12 kilometres around the city. It was wide enough on the top of the, the high wall for three chariots to race alongside. The power and might of Assyria was enormous. Wouldn't it be ridiculous if a prophet from, say, um, Fiji went and spoke a prophecy against the, the, the destruction of the United States of America, declaring their downfall, or, or going to pronounce the, the, the fall of China, China or the Ameri America, the superpower, I would only laugh. And that's really what it's like for Nahum from this small place in Judah, a small, small kingdom, pronouncing judgment against these, this remarkably powerful uh, nation. In Nahum chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Nineveh is like a pool and its water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. Plunder the city, plunder the gold. The, the supply is endless. The wealth of all its treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, stripped. And then verse 15. There, there will be fire 
that there the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you down like grasshoppers, they'll consume you. Nineveh was literally wiped off the map. Soon after, even the memory of it was lost to the locals. For a long time, the only account of Nineveh was found in the Bible and in some, uh, in some Babylonian records. For 2,000 years, it was completely lost. No one knew where to find it. It wasn't until about 1847 when an English archaeologist found the site in, in northern Iraq uh, on the Tigris River. So for 2,000 years, uh, the prophecy uh, was, was, was realised. No one knew where even to find it. It was, it was no doubt the very centre of the, the known world at that point, that, but it had been plundered, left to its ruins. There was a possibility that Nahum had lived long enough to see his prophecy fulfilled. But I don't think he would have needed to see it because... God said it would happen. So was there any word of future hope in this message? Well, it depends on whose side you're on, doesn't it? There was a hope for, for Judah, um, but of course for the nation of uh, Assyria, uh, there was none. When the election results are announced to a nation, uh, it's always good news for one and bad news for the others. And so chapter 1, verse 15, it said, Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Lord Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. So this was good news for Judah. And it's the good news that is referred to in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, about the, uh, the feet of the one who brings good news. And good news is not just good news. Uh, you know, good news for you might be, oh, I've got a little pay rise. Good news. Um, oh, um, I've, been, I've, I've won a, uh, a night out at the pitches. Oh, good news. No, that's not good news. What we're talking about good news here is news that changes your life. Um, it changes everything. So if so one today good news would be as if we could eradicate COVID. If the good news came that uh, there, were, there was a vaccine that would completely get rid of COVID altogether, now that's good news. Why? Because it changes our life. It changes our life completely. So when the message of Jesus comes and he proclaims good news, it, it isn't just nice news, it's not just happy news, it means life-changing news. Nahum's name means comfort, and here we understand why it is, why his message is good news. So why is this important for us today? I think we need to be constantly reminded of who God is and that this relationship that we have with our Father in Heaven, that is the good news. We know our Father in Heaven. We, everything changes. Our life has changed because of this truth of Jesus. If, 
everything does not change, then we've got to start wondering whether actually we understand the good news. Because if Jesus is Lord, it has to affect every aspect of our life. It means every part of our life is touched because we have a Lord who is in heaven. And then the next remarkable news, good news, is that this God in our Father in heaven, through Jesus Christ our Lord, <coughs> we've been given the Holy Spirit. Now that, <coughs> that's, 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 just not, that's just not nice news. That's good news. That's life-changing news. Because the wonderful thing is, every aspect of our living, our thoughts, our prayers, our ambitions, all change because we are now children of God. We've been given the Jesus Christ to be Lord and we willingly bow the knee to Jesus. And we've been given the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to be a, to to assure us that we are his children. God has come down. Jesus was incarnate. He, he took on flesh. He has shown us the way to the Father. He has made the way. His body was torn so that we might have entry into the Holy of Holies. On the cross, the, even the, the, the temple curtain was torn, and, but that represents Jesus' body for us. So we now have the privilege to come into relationship with our Father in heaven. He's a good God. He's not only good, he's not only a good father, as in morally good, but he's good at fathering us. And so here we are in this time of we're feeling oppression, we're feeling an enemy around, um, it is COVID. But there are oftentimes other enemies around us, isn't there? That we feel the oppression, the, the, the presence of, of, of something that is trying to consume us, trying to control us. The good news, the, 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 the naming, the comfort that we have is that God will defeat all things that are evil, all things that are wrong with the world. He's going to restore the world. We're going to be with the Father with the coming of the, of the heavenly hosts and, and the earth, this renewed earth, the, the, the new heavens and new earth. We're going to experience true oneness with the Father. That is our comfort. During COVID, this is our comfort. The persecution for Afghanistan, this is the comfort, this is the name and they need. Those who are suffering in Haiti who are because of the earthquake, this is the comfort, this is the name and those who are suffering because of, of uh, conflict or, or, or as refugees, those who hope in our Father in heaven, this is their name and this is their good news. Let's spend some time in prayer. And Father, we just thank you for this message, Naaman's message, to a people 
who lived, what, two and a half thousand years ago, more. And yet it's still a message of hope for us today. Lord, I just thank you that you are a God who looks upon us with jealousy. Your love for us is, is overwhelming. You only want our good. You only want our best. And Lord, as we're feeling um, in our moment in history, in this moment in time, we're feeling quite oppressed, uh, we're feeling limited. Well, we look forward to the day where we will have true salvation, when we'll be fully restored with you, um, and faith will be no more where heaven and earth will come together and we can live in, in that wonderful paradise of being in that new heavens and new earth. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for that good news that has changed our life. Lord, we'll never be the same and we never want to be the same. We always want to draw closer to you in, in intimacy and to our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we thank you for the blessedness that we have been given. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We, we bear your Holy Spirit. And there's times, there's times in recent times where we've uh, had to cry out to you, Father, because we've We've had no other comforter. Lord, we've had to cry out to you because we've, yeah, because of uh, this present experience. Well, there's times when we've had to cry out for you for, for our health or the health of a loved one. We've cried out to you for the relationships that have been strained or tested. We've cried out to you because of the financial burden it's been. We cry out to you because we've felt isolated and alone. We cry out to you because you are our Father in Heaven. I just thank you, Lord, for Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. And as we draw comfort in in this wonderful news that has had a profound effect upon our life. Lord, we, we want the, uh, the courage to stand firm until the very end. Lord, help us to stand firm, despite what we might face in the future, despite what we're presently facing. Help us to stand firm through your, through your Spirit's work in our life. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the people of God. Lord, I want to thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, and your spirit you've given us. I want to thank you, Father, for being our Father in heaven. We delight in you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.